You're listening to the teaching podcast of The Crossing Church. We exist so that the real you can have a daily encounter with the real Jesus in word and deed. For more information about our church, visit crossingparagold.com. A few weeks ago, my wife and I decided to take our kids to my in-law's house in the busting metropolis of Halliday, Arkansas, so that our kids could ride around on some four-wheelers down some gravel roads. And if you can kind of imagine the scene, uh, I am on one four-wheeler with my youngest son, uh, Moses, and my uh, uh, oldest son, Wyatt, and then on another four-wheeler is Megan and our daughter, Nora Kate. And I was trying to be a fairly responsible parent. I was driving probably, you know, trying to keep it under 25 miles per hour, going fairly slow. And apparently, um, though you can take the girl out of the country, you can't take the country out of the girl. Um, because my wife, who was born and raised in Halliday, all of a sudden, as I'm just kind of driving, I see out of my peripheral vision my wife and my daughter fly by me like a bat out of Hades. And so they like, you know, kicked up this, this uh, gravel and dust and these rocks up on us. And, and, and as I'm sitting there kind of somewhat humiliated to make matters worse, as the dust clears, my son Wyatt looks at me and he says, Dad, you're letting the girls beat us. And so I was like, uh, no, I'm not. And so like, you know, that was enough to motivate me. And so I speed up. Eventually I catch up with Megan. I told her how crazy she is. And then I was like, can we please just slow down so that we can kind of enjoy the scenery? And so she agreed to do that. So we kind of began to ride around together and we came across things like this big turtle that our kids wanted their picture made with. And then uh, we eventually come to the pillow fish farms and we saw some guys dragging a net through a pond and pulling out catfish. And you got to see several of the things that we don't really see in carriage hills that often. And so um, it was a really cool thing. I saw a lot of, you know, it was really neat stuff. But the thing that grabbed my attention more than anything else that we saw um, was this building right here which is currently a building that is used as a horse barn, um, but at one point it used to actually be a church building. And according to my father-in-law, we talked about it this past week, uh, this church was started around 1925 by Megan's, my wife's great-great-grandfather, who was a man who had a passion for Jesus and the surrounding community. However, within two generations of this church being started, as you can see now, it died. And most likely what happened is what happens to a lot of church. And the fact that though it started with this outward focus of reaching the community for Jesus, it eventually became inward focus. It experienced a mission drift. And now, as a result, what one time was filled with a group of people who had a white-hot passion for Jesus, it's now just filled with horse hay and manure. And the reason I share that this morning is just to say this. I have a serious fear, as we're about to move into year seven as a church, That if we do not take the mission of God seriously, the same thing is going to happen to us. In that we will slowly and silently, with very little fanfare, begin to become an increasingly inward-focused church that is just a flash in the pan. People will say, oh, you remember that church that was downtown? We'll be here today and gone tomorrow. And because I believe this is a real danger facing us as a church, what I want to do this morning is I just want to take some time before we kick off our next series next week, and I just want to remind you what our mission is. I want to remind you of our vision that we believe Jesus has given us, of what it really means to be the church God has called us to be, and what I think this means for us moving forward. 
And if you're here today and you're not a Christian, let me say this to you. If you're here and you're not a Christian or you don't want to be a member of a church and you're like, what in the world does this have to do with me? Like, I got up early to come and hear this. Like, like seriously, how is this relevant? Um, what I want you to know is I think this message actually matters to you a lot. Because basically what I'm going to be talking about in the time we're together today is just really what it means to be a Christian. Like not the American version of a Christian, but the biblical version of what it means to be a Christian and what it actually means to be the church God's called us to be. So what that means then for you is if you walk away today from Jesus or from the church with no intention of getting involved, at least now you're going to know what you're walking away from. Does that make sense? And so with that in mind, I want to look in Matthew chapter 3, started in verse 1. Uh, Matthew chapter 3, verse 1, and I'm reading from the NIV. It says this. I'll put it on the screen for you if you don't have uh, a Bible with you. In those days, John the Baptist came preaching in the wilderness of Judea and saying, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven has come near. This is he who has spoken through the prophet Isaiah, a voice of one calling in the wilderness, Prepare the way for the Lord and make straight the paths for him. Now that phrase, if you see it there in verse 3, the way in the Greek is one word, and it's the word odos, which literally means a way, a path, a road, or a journey that one will go on. And it is a word that is actually seen not only here in Matthew, but over a hundred other places throughout the scripture, 62 times alone by Jesus himself in the Gospels. Uh, for example, if you flip over to Matthew chapter 7, turn over just a couple pages, Matthew chapter 7. Verse 13, we read the following. Jesus says, enter through the narrow gate, for wide is the gate, and broad is the road, or the odos, is the word again, that leads to destruction, and many enter through it. But small is the gate, and narrow is the road, or the odos, that leads to life, and only a few will find it. So notice how, according to Jesus, there are two different ways on offer. Right? There are two different roads. There are two different paths. There is an odos or a road that you can take that is going to be broad and it's going to be easy and many of your friends will find it, but in the end it leads to destruction. But then there's another way on offer for Jesus and it's a narrow path, a hard path, a difficult path, a countercultural path, and in the end he says it leads to life. Um, one other place we'll look at, Matthew chapter 22. If you flip over there, just one more place, Matthew 22. We see Jesus, uh, or we see the following. Matthew 22, verse 15. It says, Then the Pharisees went out and laid plans to trap Jesus in his words. They sent their disciples to him along with the Herodians, and they said, Teacher, we know that you are a man of integrity and that you teach, what? The way of God in accordance with the Scriptures. So in Jesus' days, the Pharisees and their disciples and everybody else referred to Jesus as a rabbi or as a teacher. And notice in verse 16, what is it that Jesus taught? He taught the way of God in accordance with the scriptures. In other words, Jesus taught people the way that leads to life. He taught people what it means to be the men, to be the women that we were created to be so that we can flourish and thrive. This is, by, this is why by the time we come to the book of Acts, when you see the early church, they were referred to not as Christians, but as what? As the way, or as followers of the way. And here are a few examples of that. Acts chapter 9, it says, Saul, 
Verse 2, Acts 9, verse 2, Saul asked for letters to the synagogues in Damascus so that if he found any who belonged to, what's the phrase, the way, whether men or women, he might take them as prisoners to Jerusalem. Acts chapter 19, verse 9, but some of them became obstinate and they refused to believe and publicly maligned the way. I love this, one of my favorite verses in scripture, Acts 19, 23, about that time there arose a great disturbance about the way. And then Acts 22, 4, I persecuted, Paul said, talking about his former life, I used to persecute followers of this way to their death. Now, there's more I could share, but here's just my point in sharing all of that. What I want you to notice is this phrase, the way, is not a one-off metaphor. But rather, it is a major theme that runs all throughout the New Testament and is a theme that I believe we need to recover in the American church today. And here's the theme as you see it on the screen today. It is that the way of Jesus is just that. It is a way of life. It is not just a set of ideas that we sit around and ponder and think about, like, huh, what do you think God is like? Or what do you think God is like? Nor is it just a list of do's and don'ts of, hey, you should obey this because it's right, and you should right, not obey this or not do this because it is wrong. But rather, to follow Jesus, though, yes, those things are included, it is actually much more than that because to follow Jesus is about a lifestyle. To follow Jesus, please hear me, is not about just giving Jesus your afterlife. It is about giving Jesus this life. It is not just about giving him your Sunday, but it is about giving him your every day. In the words of Jesus in Matthew 10, it is about losing your entire life so that in Christ you can find the life that you are actually longing for. And this is the bold and audacious claim that Jesus makes about himself over and over and over in the New Testament. For example, in John alone, in John chapter 5, 24, Jesus says, Very truly, I tell you, whoever hears my words and believes him who sent me has eternal life and will not be judged, but is crossed over from death to life. In John seven thirty eight, Jesus says, Let anyone who is thirsty come to me and drink. And whoever believes in me, as scripture has said, rivers of living water will flow from within them. In John chapter 10, verse 10, Jesus says, The thief has come to kill, steal, and destroy, but I have come so that you may have life and have it abundantly. And then in John 14, 6, Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. I don't know what you've heard about Jesus, but today what you need to know is he stands before you, and no matter who you are or what you've done, you know what he wants to offer you today? Life. Deep life. Meaningful life. Full life. Rich life. That's what Jesus brings to the table. And the question that we have to ask is, well, how do I get that life? And the way that you get it is by following Jesus. Or in the words of John, by believing in Jesus. And here's the unfortunate thing about that word believing. Because in the English culture, it's very misleading. When we talk about believing in something, what we think that means is to just nod my head in agreement. Like, oh yeah, I believe the gospel. Sure, I believe that Jesus lived a perfect life that I could ever live, died a death, I deserve to die and rose from the dead. Yep, I believed it, right? So check, going to heaven when I die. But what you need to understand is that in the Greek, it actually means something different than that. Because in the Greek, to believe in something means you put your entire weight into it. And so in the English, if you think about Libby, I don't know where you are. I hope you don't care if I use this. If in the English to say, I believe that this stool exists is basically for us to all go, oh yeah, there it is. I believe that too. But in the Greek, it's not just to say, I believe there it is. And now I'm going to be kind of removed from it. But to believe means, no, I'm going to put my entire weight in it. I'm going to rest everything I have into this because I believe that it will hold me up. And listen, that's what it actually means to follow after Jesus, to believe in him. It's to say, Jesus, here's my money. 
Here's my relationships. Here's my schedule. Here's everything that I have. I want to trust you with every single bit of it. Because I actually believe you know better how to run my life than I do. This is what it means to really follow after Jesus. This is what it means to be a disciple. And at the crossing, the way that we break this down is by saying it like this. If you today want to find the life that you have been created to experience and you are longing for, as a disciple, as a follower of Jesus, here's what you're going to have to do. You're going to have to reorient your life around three goals. And I'll put them on the screen for you, I believe. Goal number one is to be with Jesus. Goal number two is to become like Jesus. And goal number three is to begin to do what Jesus did. I want to say a short word on each of these, and we'll talk about what it means as a church. So first, as a disciple, goal number one above any other goal is to be with Jesus. To realize he is the treasure chest of joy and that the greatest part of being a Christian is that I get to have a relationship with God. This is what Jesus says in John chapter 15 is abiding in the vine. It's what Brother Lawrence called practicing the presence of God. It's this idea that as a disciple, my number one goal is to learn to live with an awareness of God in the everyday stuff of life. To learn to live with a mental awareness in all that we do that, man, that God loves you, he is for you, he desires a relationship with you, and that you can trust him with all that you have. And if you've been following Jesus for any stretch of time, like you know, if you can be honest, this is much easier said than done. Amen? Amen. And it's not because God does not want to be with you. It's just that oftentimes we don't know how to be with God. And so what you need to hear today is learning to abide in the vine, learning how to be with Jesus is actually going to take some work and effort on our part. Not because Jesus says we got to work for it, But like any relationship, and you know this if you're married, it takes work to cultivate intimacy. Um, I was reading this book earlier in the year. It's called Letters by a Modern Mystic. And if you want to be able to impress your friends by saying that you read a book uh, this year or in one week, I would recommend this one. It's a very easy read. But the reason I picked this book is because, um, one, because Lawback worked with Muslims. And you know, as our, our missional community, that's who we're working with in our city. And so I want to learn more about that. But also, he's one of the most famous missionaries to ever live. He's the only missionary to actually ever made it on a U.S. postal stamp because of his literacy work that he did. And, um, and so very famous in the academic world. But actually, his life goal was, was not to be known for literacy, but it was to live every single minute of every single day with Jesus. And so early on, he started this game called the Game of Minutes, where his goal was to bring Jesus to mind every single minute, to bring God to mind no matter what he was doing or what he was in the middle of. It's a pretty awesome game. And so there's a lot in here, but I just want to read one excerpt from page 25. This is from one of his journal entries in June of 1930. Here's what he says. This concentration upon God is strenuous, so it's hard work. But everything else has ceased to be so. I think more clearly. I forget less frequently. Things which I did with a strain before, I now do easily with no effort whatsoever. I worry about nothing, and I lose no sleep. I walk on the air a good part of the time. Even the mirror reveals a new light in my eyes and face. I no longer feel in a hurry about anything. Everything goes right each minute I meet calmly as though it were not important. Nothing can go wrong except one thing. That is that God may slip from my mind if I do not keep on my guard. If he is there, the universe is with me. My task is simple and clear. Amen. Amen. 
Like, who doesn't want that life? And notice, for, for Laubach, he says, look, this, is, this takes work. This, this is strenuous. This takes intentionality. But he says, it is possible. It is very possible for you to come to a place where your mind can begin to anchor itself in an awareness of God throughout the day, where you can progress to a point where God becomes the first thought in your mind, no matter what you're doing, whether you're in that staff meeting, or you're changing diapers, or you're on that line at the factory, or you're commuting on Highway 49 and people are just like blowing past you and road raging, like you really can come to a place where like the compass of a needle returns to the north, your mind can go back to God. And as a result, and think about this, some of you can then finally go from a place of just viewing God as this concept or idea that you talk about to actually having a loving relationship with the Father who wants to actually have a relationship with you moment by moment and day by day. This is goal number one as a disciple of Jesus, to be with Jesus, to abide in the vine. Secondly, out of that, as we learn to be with Jesus, the second goal is to become like Jesus. This may come as a surprise to some of you, but did you know that Jesus was actually not the first rabbi in history? There was actually many rabbis before Jesus and after Jesus, and they all had disciples. And what you'll learn was when you study the life of a rabbi, or more importantly, the life of a disciple to a rabbi, is the reason they left everything is because they wanted to follow the rabbi for the purpose of becoming like the rabbi, of being able to think like the rabbi, talk like the rabbi, look like the rabbi, and above all, live like the rabbi. And what you need to understand today is the same is true for those of us who are in discipleship to the rabbi, Jesus Christ. Your goal in the Christian life, please hear me, according to scriptures, is not just to try to live a pretty good life, die, and then go to heaven when it's all over. The goal of a Christian life is for you to increasingly be transformed more and more into the likeness of Jesus. And it's really important that you hear this today because here's what I think happens in our culture, especially in churches like ours. People begin to rail against behavior modification. And I get that somewhat because um, legalism is toxic. Can we all agree? And for those of us who grew up in legalistic churches where people are always saying, do this, don't do that, because that's just the right thing to do, and that's the wrong thing to do, like, there's a part of us that's just like anything that resembles behavior modification, we're like, no, thank you. But here's the problem with that. Um, I'm pretty sure Jesus wants to modify some of my behavior. <laughs> like, when I look at the Sermon on the Mount and I look at my life, there's a little bit of a discrepancy. Just a little bit, right? Um... Just last week, my wife and I went on a little mini vacation with our kids to St. Louis. And I had everything packed, and uh, we had snacks for the kids and videos for them, and I had the perfect Spotify music playlist. Everything was perfect except for one thing. My wife and I argued literally all the way from Paragold through Popper Bluff. And so what started as just this little spat in the kitchen spilled over for the next hour and 15 minutes. And I don't know about you guys, but this is just how holy I am. When I'm in an argument with my wife, rather than me often, oftentimes thinking about how can I shepherd her heart and point her to Christ in this moment, or what do I have to take responsibility for and repent of right now, here's the question I ask myself, am I winning or losing right now? <laughs> right? And so in this moment, we're driving our little minivan, and I feel like, man, I am winning this argument. <laughs> like, I am demolishing her in this. And as I am feeling pretty good about myself and where this conversation's going, I look over at my wife and, and, and literally she has tears rolling down her cheeks. And it was not because she was thinking, I am so happy to be married to this man, <laughs> right? It was because in that moment her heart was broken because I had used words to cut her down and shame her 
like I can sometimes do. And when I look back at that, I'm pretty sure Jesus wants to modify that behavior. All you women are supposed to be like, amen, right? (laughs) So the problem is not with behavior modification. The problem is we often miss the fact that true behavior modification starts on the inside. That true behavior modification flows from a heart transformation. And please hear me. That's what Jesus is after. He is after your heart. In Proverbs 4.23, it says, Above all, guard your heart, for it is the wellspring of life. In other words, what you see on the outside. Please hear this today, because some of you, you've done this before, right? Like you've, you've whatever, cussed out this person, or you've flipped someone off in traffic, or maybe not. But right, like you've done something, and then what do you say? Oh, that's not me. That's not me. Yes, it is. Above all else, Proverbs 4.23, guard your heart for it's the wellspring of life. In other words, what you see on the outside is a direct result of what's on the inside. Therefore, this is why when Jesus comes after you, he doesn't go necessarily after the surface. He goes after the heart. And when he captures your heart, when you begin to worship Jesus and enjoy Jesus and love Jesus and trust Jesus with your life, here's what will happen. Not overnight, But over time, you will begin to change from the inside out. I was talking with someone just this past week who was struggling with pornography. Like 99% of men are, an increasing number of women, which we'll talk actually a lot more about next week. Um, I I began to share with this, this guy how... Before I met Jesus, I was addicted to pornography. I was looking at pornography, I I would say, on estimate three to four times a day. And then I met Jesus, and that did not just miraculously go away. What did begin to happen, as I learned to abide in the vine and begin to pursue Jesus and give more of my life to Jesus, is what was three or four times a day went to once a day, to eventually went to once a week. To eventually went to once a month, to eventually once a year, to now, I can honestly say, I do not remember the last time that I have looked at pornography. And I share that not to say, like, wow, I'm a hero, but the point is to say this, when you will surrender your heart to Jesus, again, guys, listen, not overnight, but over time, you will begin to become more like Jesus. You will you will, in the words of Jesus in John 15, begin to bear much fruit. And what fruit is he talking about? Galatians 5 tells us the fruit of love and joy and peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, self-control. Who does not want that life? And this is the life that Jesus is after for you. As the old saying goes, Jesus loves you the way that you are, but he loves you too much to keep you the way that you are. He actually cares about who you are becoming. He wants to make you more into his likeness, more into the man or woman you were created to be, more and more into your true self that is found in him. In light of that, here's a question I would ask you before we move forward. Who or what are you becoming? When you think about where you were this time last year, and you think about where you are now, As you look at the trajectory of where you're heading, do you like the person you see coming over the horizon? Who or what are you becoming? The reality is we all joke about getting older and how we don't like it, but aging should actually be a beautiful thing. Because when we age, it actually gives us another year, another chance to become more like Jesus, which means this, it gives you more of a chance to become the kind of person who has joy no matter your circumstances. To have an inner peace that cannot be taken away from you. To know that you are loved and then begin to extend love to others without expecting something back in return. 
What an incredible life. And this is what Jesus is wanting to do in us. The third goal of a disciple is not just be with Jesus, uh, to become like Jesus. The third goal is actually to do what Jesus did. If you are an apprentice to an electrician, what is your goal? To eventually wire a house. If you are an apprentice to a plumber, what is your goal? To eventually plumb a house. If you are an apprentice to Jesus or a disciple to Jesus, your goal is to do what Jesus did. And what did Jesus do? I think, do we have a list of things that Jesus did? We can put on the screen. Yeah. This is an exhaustive list, but this is certainly a lot of the things we see Jesus doing. Preaching the gospel, practicing the spiritual disciplines, healing the sick, casting out demons, eating and drinking with people who are far from God, doing justice in the city, peacemaking, praying, prophesying, and standing up against corruption. These are the things I want you to see, guys, look, that we are called to do. This is the end goal as a disciple. And again, like, it's not like that we're going to be seeing these things happening over and over just overnight. But like this, again, like as a disciple, we are to be with Jesus, become like Jesus, and then do what he did. This is what it looks like in the words of Jesus to seek first the kingdom of God. To live in such a way that we will begin to see right here in northeast Arkansas, God's kingdom come and his will being done in our hearts and throughout our cities. All that being said, please hear this. This is why we exist as a church. It's why we're here. It is what we are all about. This is Jesus' vision for our lives and our city to live in such a way that we see his future kingdom breaking into this present world. And if you're here and you're like, okay, that all sounds great, but how exactly are we going to see that happen? Well, I'm glad you asked. Because here's the strategy for this, and it's pretty simple. We believe that if we are going to see God's kingdom come and will being done here in Northeast Arkansas as it is in heaven, it happens as we commit to practicing the way of Jesus together in Northeast Arkansas. And here's what I mean by that. I want to just break that down very quickly. First off, if we are going to see God's kingdom come and his will being done in our hearts and in our cities, what I first want you to see is that this is going to take practice. In Matthew chapter 5, Jesus is preaching the Sermon on the Mount. And if you've ever read the Sermon on the Mount, you know Jesus does not lower the bar, but he raises the bar so high that some scholars will say, oh, well, we can never actually fulfill, we can never really live out the Sermon on the Mount. And I think the people who come to that conclusion often miss the way the Sermon on the Mount begins and ends. Because if you look in chapter 5, verse 19, the way Jesus starts the Sermon on the Mount, I think I can put it on the screen for you, as he says this, Therefore, anyone who sets aside one of the least of these commands and teaches others accordingly will be called least in the kingdom of God. But whoever, what's the word next? Practices and teaches these commands will be called great in the kingdom of God. Uh, Flip over to Matthew chapter 7. This is Jesus' outro to the Sermon on the Mount. And here's what he says. Matthew chapter 7, verse 24. Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into, what's the word? practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against the house, yet it did not fall because it had been on the foundation of the rock. It's talking about Christ. But everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into what? Practice is like a foolish man who built his house on the sand, and the rain came down, and the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against the house, and it fell with a great crash. And that's the way Jesus ends his sermon. Which is a pretty haunting way to end, right? I mean, I can imagine if I did that. You'd be mad at me. If I get up here and I'm like, okay, I'm done. Final words. Do everything I said. Life will go really well for you. But if you don't, if it goes in one ear and out the other, you're all going to die. God bless. Y'all have a great day, right? 
you're like, man, what's wrong with that guy? And yet, like, this is the way Jesus ends it. Here's what happens. You put my words into practice, life will go really well. If you don't, you will crash. The point is simple. The kingdom of God, life in the kingdom of God takes practice. That is why we say often, and I think we ripped this off from Dallas Willard. I really don't remember. Um, But the Christian life is not about trying really hard, but it is about training really hard. And there's a difference between the two. If you decide tomorrow that you want to get in shape so you go join Anytime Fitness. Little plug for you guys back there. (laughs) Owners of Anytime Fitness are in our church. So you go and you join Anytime Fitness and you're like, I want to bench press my weight. Let's assume you've never set foot in a gym. You've never tried to bench press. I want to bench press my weight. What are you going to do to try to bench press your weight? Are you just going to lay down on the bench, throw 175 pounds on there right out of the gate and try to bench it? I mean, you might try that, but if you do, it's going to crush your chest cavity, right? And then you're going to come to the conclusion, oh, I just can't bench press my weight. That's not true. You just can't bench press your weight yet. And so rather than just trying really hard, you need to train really hard. And so here's what you do. If you've never bench pressed, I'm going to tell you right now, free of charge. Don't have to go pay Grant to do this. You start with the bar, which is 45 pounds. And I know that because I've lifted it before and it's quite heavy. You start with 45 pounds, and then, you, you may not know this, free tip, they have these things that are 2.5, 2.5-pound weights. It's not even 5-pound weights. You throw the 2.5-pound weights on there, then 5 pounds, you keep going, eventually 10 pounds, eventually 25 pounds, eventually 45 pounds, and you know what will happen if you train hard, if you stay at it over time, you will grow and mature to the kind of person who can bench press your own weight. Now, that's common sense to us when it comes to that world. Here's the problem. Few of us are approaching our discipleship to Jesus that way. And so you want to know what happens when you don't approach your discipleship to Jesus that way? You find a weakness inside of you. Maybe it's lust. And so when you get lonely, you go to porn or you try to hook up with this person who's not your spouse. Or maybe you have depression or anxiety or you gossip or you're hypercritical. And here's what you've been told in the church. Just white knuckle it. Just try harder to be better. And you know that won't work. It just doesn't work. It is, it's spiritually equivalent to trying to bench press your own weight without ever setting foot in a gym. And it is a recipe for disaster. That's why when it comes to our discipleship to Jesus, it's not about trying really hard, but it's about training really hard. And here's what I mean by that. It means engaging in what church history calls the spiritual disciplines. It means doing what Mark Sayers calls winning the day. So when you wake up tomorrow morning... Rather than, before you even roll out of bed, opening this up and saying, what's on Facebook? Who texted me? What emails can I respond to? Instead, it's saying, you know what? I'm going to start my day with prayer. I'm going to start my day and I'm just going to read a psalm. Or I'm going to read a passage out of the Gospels. It starts with saying, you know what? I'm going to try to start giving a little bit of my income to set my heart free. Or I'm going to share a meal with a missional community. And because here's what happens. When you do this, Through each practice, please hear me, guys. Through each one of these practices, you will open up your heart to the Holy Spirit. And as you open up your heart to the Holy Spirit over time, through what Eugene Peterson calls a long obedience in the same direction, as you take on Jesus' way of life, his life will begin to flow through you. So this takes practice. Secondly, if we're going to see God's kingdom come and his will being done right here in Northeast Arkansas as it is in heaven, we need to realize this is going to happen in the context of community. In Matthew chapter 5, verse 13, again, in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus says, You are the salt of the earth, you are the light of the world. 
When you read that, it looks like that word you is singular, but in the Greek it's actually plural, which means what Jesus is saying there is you all are the salt of the earth. Since we're in Arkansas, y'all are the salt of the earth, and y'all are the light of the world. Meaning, this whole following Jesus thing, this whole living on mission, it's not just about how you live. It's about how we live together. And you have to get that, guys. We live in such a hyper-individualistic culture right now that says it's just you and your own little personal relationship with Jesus. The Bible has no category for that. This is why Jesus, whenever he came to the scene, he didn't just have a disciple, he had disciples. Because plain and simple, nobody can mature into the man or woman God created you to be by living in isolation. This is why whenever we started the church seven years ago, we could have started it any way we wanted. Nobody told us how we had to do this thing. But rather than just starting here with a Sunday gathering with a whole bunch of people, we started in a house around a table trying to learn what it means to be a family centered around Jesus Christ. Because we knew that as messy and as hard as community is, if we're going to be the people, if we're going to be the church God has called us to be, it will not happen apart from practicing the way of Jesus together. Finally, we want to practice the way of Jesus together in NEA. And here's what I mean by that. Um, Because we live in such a highly consumeristic individualistic culture that is built on speed, built on instant gratification. Um, And I say this with love in my heart, but this is an insider critique, not an outsider critique. From my perspective, churches are becoming much more like cruise ships than battleships. Uh, People are starting to look more and more for, as I visit a church, what kind of programs do you have for me and my family? How are you going to feed me? How are you going to entertain me? Rather than, how can I partner with you in the mission of God? And guys, that is so backwards. And it is corrupting. It's killing the church. It's why even the churches that are growing right now are not growing with kingdom growth. It's just transfer growth. People going from one church to the next on which one has the best music or whatever else. Um, We see things like, and I'm not beating up on this. Maybe we'll do it someday. I don't know. But I think about even like the internet church, which has become very popular, where people will live stream their church services, which is fine. I get kind of the motives behind why they do that. But what typically happens is somebody then will sit home And they'll try to find a celebrity pastor or the the sermon they like the best. And they will listen to it. And even though they have no intentions whatsoever of putting themselves under the authority of the pastors in that church or stepping into community, they will say, that's my church. No, it's not. Because your church is not just a religious event that you consume. The church is the people of God, saved by the power of God, and dwelt with the presence of God and sent out for the purposes of God to a specific place that God is calling us to go with the gospel. And for us, that place, guys, is northeast Arkansas. It is Paragould and Jonesboro and Walnut Ridge and Marmaduke and all the surrounding areas and communities that we are being sent as a church to be salt and light to so that God's kingdom can come and his will be done. This is why if you've been in a missional community, as you know, every missional community we have has a specific mission focus, whether it be to refugees or to recovering addicts, or Reynolds Park, or foster families, or the youth sports world. Guys, as a church, we are called to be a good news people to people and places that are in desperate need of good news. To be light in the darkness, to reflect the city that is to come. I'm telling you, I think if John chapter 1... John is talking about Jesus, and he says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God, and the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. Eugene Peterson has paraphrased that. He says in John 1.14, The Word became flesh and blood and moved into our neighborhood. 
As I think about that, I'm like, man, that's what it means to be the church Jesus has called us to be. It's to leave our comforts. It's to leave our safety. And it's to go where people are. We will not change. Please hear me, guys. We will not change Northeast Arkansas by cramming people into this room. It doesn't happen that way. By just getting more people to show up. I'm all about the Sunday gathering. We'll talk about that in a moment. But we are going to change the culture by us going to where people are with the gospel and the power of the Spirit. So this is what it means to be the church Jesus has called us to be, to practice the way of Jesus together in northeast Arkansas. And here's just what I want to say, and we're about done this morning. If you are not on board for that, you are welcome here. We're glad that you're here. If you see that and you're just like, man, I, I don't know if I'm ready to go all in on that. Um, man, we say it all the time. This is a place where you can belong before you believe. You can work through all of these questions and doubts and fears that you have. And so please, if you're, don't, don't sit here and be like, well, there's no way I can go all in right now, so I just don't even to come at all. Please don't do that. But here's what I want to say to those of you who have been coming for a year, and you definitely are a follower of Jesus, I want to encourage you to go all in on this. If not here, somewhere. Because um, you are missing out by sitting on the sidelines. Go all in on this. And if you're like, what exactly does this look like? Well, well, on the ground level, and you guys, this should not be new to you, but at the crossing, we just say there's really just four things we're asking of our members. And the four things are this. It's together, to go, to grow, and to give. What we mean by that very quickly is when we call you together, we are actually calling you to show up here regularly on a Sunday morning. Um, I know we all work. I know that we are busy. I know that in the summer it's good to you know, get away for a little while and all of that. But I want to encourage you, and I believe the Scriptures encourage you, to be here as often as you can to make the Sunday gathering a priority. We are convinced as pastors, and we read in the Scriptures, and if you need us to walk with you through this, that you cannot become the man or woman God's called you to be apart from a, a, a regular routine like this. We're in a very unique way. We all come together, and through singing and preaching and communion, we get transformed by the renewing of our minds. This is important to us. That's why next week, as hopefully you've all heard by now, we're going from one service to two services. And so we have a meeting at 9.30 a.m., but we're going to try to create more space. As you can see, there's not a lot of space. This is after the kids left, right? And so people are usually standing up in the back until the preaching. And so we're going to have two services, one at 8.30 a.m. and another one at 10.30 a.m., um, just so more people can come. And we believe be spiritually formed through what Christ has given us here. So we call you together in a large setting like this. We also call you together in MCs to go and eat meals together around a table so you can take what you're learning here and dive deeper. Secondly, we call you to go. We call you to get on mission with a missional community for the purpose of what we say gospel demonstration and gospel proclamation. And what we mean by that is in our missional communities, we want to show people the picture of good news with our hands, but we also actually want to open up our mouths and give them good news with our tongues, with our lips. We want to tell them the gospel. And I just want to say as a way of update, as you know, at the beginning of the year, we challenged the church to try to have gospel conversations with a thousand people who are not following Jesus or who are not involved in a local church. And as of last week, we got an update on that. Um, I believe the recent update is we have 698 people this year who we have shared the gospel. Yeah, that's worth clapping over. <clears throat> That is absolutely something worth getting excited about. Because you realize, guys, apart from the gospel, people will die and go to hell. Apart from the gospel, they will believe lies about who God is and who they are, and they will miss out on the abundant life that we've been talking for. So I'm so thankful, man, that we have a church where you guys are walking through your fears 
and being obedient to the Holy Spirit and planting seeds of the gospel. Third, to be a part of this church means to take responsibility to grow. Just as I want to see an infant in my own house go from being an infant to a child, to an adolescent, to eventually an adult and being sent out, right? We want to see the same thing spiritually among each of you, that you grow, right? From an infant, a spiritual infant, to a child, to an adolescent, to an adult. And listen, for that to happen, you have to take responsibility for your own growth. All we can do is set the table. You have to eat. And so we encourage every member to take responsibility for their own growth. And then lastly, we encourage you to give. We encourage you to give of your time and your talents, which you guys are so faithful to do. I just want to brag on you. Again, I saw a report this last week. As of last week, we have 88 people volunteering in our kids' ministry, 55 on our hospitality team, 17 on our security team, 26 on the worship team, and 24 people are leading missional communities. Isn't that awesome? And so we encourage you to keep giving. Yeah. You can clap. So... And so we call you to give you your time and talents, and also we call you to give of your treasures. And we think a great place to start is 10% of your gross income. It's what we see laid out for us in the scripture. But if you're here and again, you're like, I can't give 10% of my gross income. That would sink me and my family. Just start somewhere. 1%, 5%. And listen, not because we need it. I promise you as a church, we are doing fine financially. We really don't just like, this isn't like a word. The ship is sinking financially. Please give quick. We're doing fine. This is not for us, but it is for you. All that being said, as we end this morning, some of you are like, man, that sounds like a lot of work. Um, And I will just say this. uh, You will get out of this whatever you put into it. I was, uh, my wife and I were joking about this last night. We have been gardening for the last few years. Do you know who enjoys our vegetables and our fruit the most when they eat it? Me and Megan. Not you, BJ. Me and Megan. And you know why we enjoy it more than anybody? Like, like you did, and you're like, that's a pretty good piece of okra. And I'm like, oh, my God, that okra's amazing, right? Like, why is that? Because I'm the one out there every day pulling the weeds, planting the seeds, tilling it, working on it, you know, warding off stupid rabbits and birds and spraying it to get rid of the pests. We're putting a lot of work into it. And therefore, like, even my kids, right, who won't, they won't eat vegetables anywhere else. They'll eat vegetables from our garden. Why? Because they work out in it. You get out of this whatever you put into it. And so if you come as a consumer... I'm just telling you, it's just a matter of time before this bores you out of your mind. You shrivel up and you die. You come as a contributor. You put some skin in the game. You take some ownership. You'll be surprised what God will do in you and through you. To end, what I hope you hear this morning is all of this is actually an invitation. It's an invitation to practice the way of Jesus together. To start tomorrow morning in the Word or in prayer. To begin a Sabbath to do this together, to get involved in a missional community in A, or to do it, and to do it in Northeast Arkansas, to realize what God has done in me, He has done, He wants to now do through me. And if you're feeling pressure this morning as you hear this, you're like, man, this guy's trying to coerce me. Um, again, all I'm trying to do is set the table. I'm not trying to force feed anybody today. Nobody. Um, Jesus doesn't do that. Uh, Jesus would clearly say, if you want to be my follower, you've got to pick up your cross and follow me. And then some people would follow him and some people wouldn't. And, and, and Jesus wouldn't like go begging them, like, please don't. Like, like, I think of the rich young ruler who came to Jesus and said, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And rather than Jesus actually telling him the gospel, which seems like that's what I would have done, he understands the man's heart. He knows he cares more about money than he does about Jesus and his kingdom. So he says, you want to inherit eternal life? Sell all you owe and give it to the poor. Then you can have riches in heaven. And it said the man walked away sorrowful, and Jesus didn't run after him. Like, please don't leave, right? 
Jesus did not coerce. He didn't manipulate. He just invites. And that's what I'm trying to do today. And I'll say this. I am not personally inviting you to anything that the pastors of this church are not doing personally. We are doing this ourselves. We are all in missional communities. We are all in DNAs. We're all giving at least 10% of our gross income. We're all serving. We are not calling you to anything we're not doing ourselves. And then also, please hear me, I am not calling you to anything that's not in here. Nothing. As your pastor and pastors, we love you so much. Here's our commitment to you. We will not call you to more than Jesus called you to, but we're also not going to call you to less either because we love you too much to do that. I want to call you to abundant life, to life that has been extended to you by the real Jesus, where you can step into the kingdom of God. And I know for some of you that is scary and it's going to be difficult because when you step into the kingdom of God, guess what that means you've got to step out of? You've got to step down from trying to be the little queen, the little king of your own kingdom, which means you're going to have to let go of some stuff. You're going to have to give up some control. And I know that's scary, but again, here's the promise from Scripture. If you will lose your life, you'll find it. You'll find it. I want to invite the band to come forward and let's stand together. We're going to pray. We'll sing one more song, partake of communion, and then we'll be done. Just take a moment to stop and pause and ask right now before we rush out of here and, and go to Chili's or wherever else you're going. I want to ask right now, you just take a moment and just ask the Holy Spirit to minister to your heart in a specific way that you need to not stop and think about what did I agree with? What did I disagree with? What did I like? What did I not like? But Holy Spirit, what do you have for me through this teaching today? Father, I thank you so much for each person who is here. I know that you love every single one of them and you see them. They are not lost in a crowd. Holy Spirit, help them to feel your love that has been poured out for them through Jesus. And I pray that you would give us the faith and the repentance that we need this morning to step into deep, full, abundant life, whatever that looks like. And it's in Christ's name that we pray and we ask these things. Amen.